Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester, arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Welcome to this edition of Worcester Culture Watch. This is Richard Duckett, and I'm with um, reporter Craig Seaman, who has um, a great story coming up uh, for the August 18th Act section on Aerosmith and the 45th anniversary of uh, a big breakthrough um, performance uh, at Westboro Speedway. There are lots of anniversaries going on around uh, (laughs) at the moment, uh, but this one has particular local significance. Hey, Richard, it's good to see you, uh, and uh, thank you for the compliments of the story. Uh, you know, I think the only person who's actually read it so far, so it's good to hear that, And uh, because uh, it does have a lot of history to this area. Next to the Rolling Stones playing at Sarah Morgan's Cove, this is probably the biggest type show like this, free centrum ever to happen in this area. So, yeah, it's a great thing. Uh, August 18th, 1974, a up-and-coming band called Aerosmith played at the West Pro Speedway on Route 9, which doesn't exist anymore. It's a, sh- it's a shopping center now, it's a strip mall, and they played to uh, 15,000 people, which was uh, the biggest crowd up to that point that they ever played to where they headlined outdoors, and it was also the biggest show and it still might be. Well, the Centrum has topped it, but it was the biggest show in uh, Worcester County at the time for a crowd for a rock and roll show. Yeah. So um, Aerosmith, they were, they weren't quite they hadn't quite broken through yet, right? I mean, that was going to come a year later with Toys in the Attic, probably. Yeah. But they must have been popular enough around here. To they were regional star. They were regional stars, uh, as you know. Uh, uh, Joe Perry, their guitar resident guitar guard, is from Hopedale, which is an area we used to cover a, a great deal. Yes. I actually think uh, uh, John Frazier did the first interview with uh, Joe Perry. That might be the first print interview. I'm trying to find out back in uh, 71. And from talking to John, Joe would come into the Milford office of the Telegram and Gazette and actually beg <laughs> to have a story done on them. At that time, they weren't even signed to a label yet. And when uh, any of John, uh, after a while, broke down uh, and did do the interview. And um, when uh, Westboro show, it was several months after the release of this sophomore record, Get Your Wings, which did much better than the first one. And the first album uh, had the regional hit, Dream On, which is probably the quintessential power ballad. Uh, in rock and roll, which didn't become a hit until they re-released it after the success of uh, Get Your Wings and Toys in the Attic, and then it became a big hit, and it's the standard now. Right, right, yeah, the, that, that came out, yeah, the re-release of that came out in uh, in 76. Yeah. Now, now Aerosmith, um, they were part of a bill, right? There were two other bands. Yes, that is true. Mad Angel, which... Uh, uh, we know Worcester greats uh, Jimmy, uh, God rest his soul, and Joe D'Angelo, the D'Angelo brothers. Uh, Rob Zaccaro was the drummer uh, who I, I did speak to for uh, this story, uh, who remembers the show well. But uh, uh, Matt Angel, and I talked to uh, 
Aerosmith's Tom Hamilton about this several years back because he vividly remembers this show and he considers this show a turning point. Uh, as he said, it was like a mini Woodstock uh, for them uh, back in an interview I did in uh, 2012. But he always thought Mad Angel was going to be the next big band uh-huh. to come out of Boston. And uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. And uh, a band called uh, Duke and the Drivers, uh, which... Before I started doing research of the story, I never heard of. <laughs> I'll admit it. And uh, the the person who promoted the show, his first and only show he ever promoted, he thought uh, Duke and the Drivers were going to be the the big band to come out of this thing because, uh, from all accounts, they put on a great set. But I've never. I, I guess there's still remnants of that band around. They were, they were a Boston-based band. And a uh, great thing about the show is that uh, Tom Thomas uh, Oliver Senior, who was uh, the promoter of the show, he didn't. Aerosmith wasn't even his first choice. His first choice was Jay Giles because they had a lot of local guys, as he said, including uh, their namesake Jay Giles, bassist Danny Klein, and harmonica player Richard Magic Dick Sawitz who all formed a band in the 60s at WPI in Worcester, another great rock and roll history of Worcester moment. So. Now, you talked to some different people who were there, and some of them think that Aerosmith gave a really great performance. Others were <laughs> a little bit less impressed. Yeah, that is true. I mean, uh, and, and we got to realize this is 45 years ago, and as I was saying when I was doing the story, I mean, this was 74 it's only 10 years after the British invasions hit with the Beatles. It's only five years after Woodstock. So we're talking, and you had a wonderful Woodstock story, by the way, Richard, that ran Sunday. Everybody should read that. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, and the thing is, they, they we were still getting the feel for how to run a rock and roll show because a lot of people, I mean, no people were still not figuring this out. And, I mean, some people said the sound was awful. Uh, one of the people I interviewed did say uh, that they weren't that good and uh, turned them off to them. Uh, uh, Bruce Nelson from Worcester said that. And he said, you know, I liked them better when they played at the Webster Square Arena, which was a skating rink where Aerosmith played in Worcester. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were actually, they opened for Mad Angel at one show there. He said they were better there. And after the show in uh, Westboro, he totally turned off to Aerosmith and followed the Stones. <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, I mean, memory must be selective. I think it was probably. I mean, unless you were real close, maybe you weren't really getting the full effect of the show. I mean, I'm, I've heard the sound was hideous, which was probably, I mean, a racetrack is not, in 74 is not really the makings of a good sounding show. So, but it was an early show and it was a turning point for them. And soon after that, Aerosmith became the rock and roll juggernaut that they are still today. They're playing four dates next week in the, at the Mass Mutual Center slash MGM Springfield. And this is a part of their East Coast version of their Las Vegas residency. So they're still big and popular as ever. Yeah, it's amazing that they're still going. Yeah. Um, 
Interesting also that uh, for Westboro, you say the tickets were $6 a piece, and uh, looking at the ticket prices for the uh, MGM Springfield <laughs> oh, uh, appearances, uh, tickets have gone up a bit. Uh, <laughs> and there's a meet and greet that's in the thousands, I think. Right, right. <laughs> and which are all sold out, I believe. I think, I think, I think the range is 89 to 499 Wow, wow. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I mean, and then uh, you know uh, the Woodstock thing, six dollars a day too. If you had a full ticket, it was six six six, and that's uh, not to get the devil's area code in there, but it was eighteen dollars for three nights of Woodstock. And from all the people I've talked to, I don't think anybody anybody went to all three nights because of the mud and the rain, and actually the best. Arguably, the performance everybody knows from Woodstock was day four. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. So I think a lot, a lot of people didn't didn't even pay. I don't think. Yeah, no. I after think, a while, uh, a lot of people didn't pay, they, but they, they just <laughs> they just got in. And uh, that actually, I mean, that's probably the biggest correlation. Not that I was trying to make one between uh, Westbro's show and uh, um, Woodstock is the fact that the fences went down real quick yes. <laughs> at uh, at uh, and Westbro Speedway and. The way the Westboro Selectmen had it set up, six dollars a ticket, which you mentioned, and they could only sell ten thousand seats, and they had to sell them in advance. The show was sold out pretty quick. I mean, it was, for anybody in Central Mass who was a teenager, that was definitely the big thing to do, even if you didn't know who they were. Three rock and roll bands playing at Westboro, and the prediction is probably another five thousand went over the fence, including our friend Bob Goodell. <laughs> Yes. The uh, the guy in charge of XXL all across the street. And as he says in the, one of my stories on this, we got a sidebar, that this really turned him on to music, this show. And beside, be, be, even though he couldn't perform and play an instrument, he knew he wanted a career in music. So that was influential to him. And I'm sure it influenced a lot of people uh, to play instruments and start a garage band. Yeah, and there were fireworks at the end of the, uh, at the <laughs> yeah end early of the show. early pyrotechnics. Uh, there was fireworks. Uh, um, I, 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 it's funny who I, the people I, I tracked down. I tracked down uh, their old road manager Robert Kelly Kelleher, and who lives in Sherman Oaks, California. I didn't know if the guy was alive still, but I tracked him down. I talked to him, and yeah, they they brought a fireworks display. Uh, they started with uh, three concussion explosions, as he said, and then when they came back from the encore, which would have been probably trained, keep uh, kept rolling. Um, they lit off the rest of the fireworks. So <laughs> yeah, it was a it was something. And uh, one thing, uh, it's amazing because this show was a big deal. Uh, the Telegram did report on this back on August 19th, 74, the, the day after. They had a front page picture of the crowd that uh, a Richard F. Owens took and said, turn them on at the Speedway. Up a photo of the paper. And you got to realize this was such a big deal. You know, they put it on the front page, up a fold, and this was not a slow news day by it all, at all. On the. All other stories on the page included th- three drowned in Shirley stole mishaps. So we had three fatalities over the weekend. 
a mechanics hall shut for safety reasons. My goodness. Yeah, and Bob Pickett's at Marble Church, baby be baptized on steps. A story about 70s birth control advocate William Bod picketing in front of Immaculate Conception Church in Marlboro. Can you realize how many hits those stories we get today? I mean, those those were all pretty big There's stories. A lot going on there. Yeah, day. that was an awful lot. And they and I and it was too much to put the Aerosmith story per se on the front page, but they had a nice picture. And then on uh, what we called back then the Metropolitan section, the second front page, the whole page was dedicated to this show, and it was several more pitches, uh, four pitches. Surprisingly, and I'm gathering. Uh, and uh, Paul J. Cleary, the photographer, left before Aerosmith because there are absolutely no photos that we ran of Aerosmith. And I've been digging, can't find any online. And the, probably the most interesting thing about this story that's going to run, which is going to make Aerosmith fans and I think even Aerosmith members go crazy is that when I interviewed uh, the promoter, uh, Tom uh, Oliveri, who owns Olive Garden and, uh, Olive Garden, I'm sorry, Peppercorns, excuse me, mm -hmm. and several other uh, notable restaurants, he's talking to me and he's like, you know, he didn't expect a call out of this. He had no idea it was the anniversary. Who would be, I mean, people still talk about the show, but he, he didn't expect a call. And he goes, and be, that's not sure. I have uh, album pictures from that show somewhere. Now, I'm a pack rat. I can't find something that someone gave to me a week ago. We're talking about an album of pitches from 45 years ago. And like 10 minutes after the phone call, he calls me up and said, I found the album. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then he says, and I'm not thinking anything too good, you know, maybe a little portable and somatic. We're talking in the days of film, young people out there. We're not talking digital, and we're certainly not talking phones. So I'm not thinking much about it. And he says, like, yeah, I got four Aerosmith pictures. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'm, I'm going to meet him. And he says, one's a picture of the crowd. I got a picture of the crowd and a picture of uh, the trailers. So I'm thinking, oh, and I'm like, do you have any Aerosmith pictures? He said, no, I have four of them on stage. So we got these four shots that never before seen, never been published. He said he's might have looked at them four times in in the last forty five years. And he and while I'm talking, he's like I explained to him that uh, we'll have a photographer redo them, and then uh, he. Uh, he goes to me, well, will they be able to do it? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, what about the color? I'm like, what do you mean? The color photographs. <laughs> and there's two. The two quintessential shots, which are Rolling Stone, Annie Lebowitz, worthy type shots, is a, sh uh, a shot of Joe Perry, a 23-year-old Joe Perry, with his soon-to-be first wife, who, according to Aerosmith folklore, and I don't know if this is true, was the Yoko Ono of Aerosmith. <laughs> uh, and these pictures are incredible. That alone is reason enough for the well, story to exist. That so. is wonderful, yeah. <laughs> that's a real treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reading your story, I don't know if I wanted to would have wanted to be in the audience, though, because um, apparently people were setting fire to pizza boxes <laughs> and uh, tossing them around in the audience. Yeah, and it's funny. One of the pictures, uh, our wonderful photo editor, Rick Sinclair, and I were going through the photos uh, yesterday and taking shots of the shots. 
And we looked at one of the crown shots, and we saw this weird, like, eclipse in the middle of the, the crowd. And we're like, you know, is that a blemish on the thing? It's one of the pizza boxes, the round circle pizza boxes, and you can clearly see a grease stain on it. And according to Bruce Nelson, he, he got hit in the back of the head with one of these things, but they were also lighting them on fire and shooting them like frisbees. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and it's funny, I, I edited a little of it, but he sort of reminded him of something like Pink Floyd the Wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall, when the fans got so rabid and they started harming themselves and each other. So, so yeah, it's sounded like a little bit of a crazy scene, but uh, I mean, uh, I, if you were young, I don't think you could beat it. I mean, even uh, Bob Goodell was talking about how they burned down a little shack, yes. and, and he didn't know what to think about it. He knew that wasn't right, but he thought it was a part of the rock and roll spectacle. So, <laughs> different, different time now, and uh, there was very little trouble. Yeah, I don't think you would see anything like that now. No, um, no. There'd, there'd be security all over the place. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Absolutely nothing like that. It's it's like not that it is Woodstock, but it's like Woodstock. Woodstock. You're never gonna have one of those again. Simply, I mean, for so many reasons. Right, right. And it's funny because the article, the guy who wrote the article, uh, um, 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 Clary, uh, it was uh, his name again. Uh, he he made this very strange analogy between Westbrook Speedway and Altamont <laughs> with the Stones and Altamont California Speedway, which was really strange because it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't the same vibe. But uh, then again, you think about it, Altamont was still fresh in people's minds, and they were both speedways. So I think that that's why he spent so much time on it. Uh, but he did have one good line. Altamont... Uh, Altamont ended with tragedy. Westrow ended, as are most events in this area, with midnight, which is a pretty pretty cool line that summed it up. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah that was a good great. line. I mean, it's, he did have some good lines, uh, but uh, it was funny. There was no mention of any Aerosmith members by name or any of the songs that they played in the article. And the only kind of review type thing that he said was in the final graph, Aerosmith hitting the stage with more power than any single engine card the track has seen. And that was it. But that, but uh, well, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, though, yeah, you know? no, it, it's a great another great line. I mean, uh, and he did to make a, a Stones analogy. Uh, Aerosmith strives for showmanship and style akin to the Stones. Loud and sassy, the group burst on the stage to loud applause and a colorful fireworks display, which we've talked about. So, uh, yeah, so we got we definitely get back up. There was certainly a fireworks spray uh, display to the then paper record, the telegram. So. <laughs> and uh, young as he was, uh, Stephen Tyler had some rider demands, right? Um, oh, yes, this is funny. Now, Stephen... Is the oldest of the group. Um, um, he's uh, he would have been twenty six at this time. I mean, he's, that's not too old. I mean, the, oldest, the youngest was uh, Brad Whitford and Tom Hamilton, uh, twenty, and both of them were twenty two. The writer was very funny. Let me uh, because I want uh, my notes on that. Uh, so. Um, this uh, this is from Kelly uh, Kelleher, their a road manager at the time, and who's uh, he said the band's writer. Which for those uh, who don't know rock and roll speak, uh, that's the set of demands that a performer sets as criteria for performances. 
And Aaron Smith singer Stephen Tyler wanted turkey every night. Mm-hmm. And in the rider, he specified not turkey roll, no repressed breasted turkey. So every night that I don't know if they still do it. I would love to know. Steve Tyler would have a cooked turkey every night in his trailer. And they also had Chinese food because, I mean, as uh, Keller, uh, Kelly Keller explained, everybody ate child, uh, Chinese food. That's an easy one, and the promoter can't mess it up. <laughs> so That's wonderful. Uh, That's a wonderful, wonderful detail there. Um, yeah. I wonder... I wonder what their rider is uh, at the um, Springfield MGM. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, mean, uh, I mean, they've been doing the residency in Vegas, and they've been doing, uh, you know, they're doing the four nights there, and it's a small venue uh, from what I'm here, 5,500. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've never been there. I've been to Springfield for shows, but I've never been to the Mass Mutual Center or whatever it was called. I don't think so. Is that a, That must be a new name. Mass Mutual Center, yeah, it is, I believe. That's not the Civic Center, is it? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either, because I've been to the Civic Center, and I've actually uh, saw uh, Nirvana uh, out in Springfield for a show. I think I've seen Nirvana and uh, Springsteen. That's about it. But, yeah, I I would like to think that Aerosmith is still kind of down to earth. Yeah. I, I don't I hope they're not one of these people you can't look at me directly in, in the eyes type of thing or I need a, a peach colored toilet paper or I'm not going on stage which are a few people we've heard about which we won't we won't express because we don't want to get on their case but uh but I would think they're still down to earth I mean like we said uh Joe's from Hopedale they all started modest means. Uh, Tom uh, Hamilton married a Worcester girl back in 75, a Doherty High grad, which I'm still trying to get a story of both of them sitting down on that. So, uh, I and, and most of them, if I'm not, I, I believe they all still kind of live in the area. Mm, yeah. Or if not in Massachusetts, it's one of the neighboring states. Yeah, that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's still, and one of the coolest things uh, with me personally uh, Steve Tyler was at one of the De- uh, Dennis Leary celebrity hat tricks events across the street at the uh, DCU Center, although it might have been the Centrum at the time. Yeah, it might have been still the Centrum uh, because uh, they. Uh, and he was one of the guys there, and I got in a situation where I was right next to him, and I, I, I mean, it's Steven Tyler. This is the singer for Aerosmith. It's a big deal, especially back then. I asked him if I could have a picture, and he's like, sure. Mm. And we're, t- we're talking free phones. So uh, I had a guy who had a camera ready, and the camera didn't work. And Stephen's handler was taking him away. And Stephen said to the handler, no, wait a minute. He waited until the picture was taken, mm. which he didn't have to do. And even if he left, he wasn't the bad guy in the situation. His handle would have been. But he, he's one of those guys that still remembers what it means. He understands rock and roll. He knows what it means to be a fan because he's a big fan anyways. But I, that was one of the coolest things I've seen a, a big A-list rock and roller do. He didn't have to do that. And he had other things to do. <laughs> but he made sure that shot. He took the extra minute to make sure that shot was taken. So... That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's a, yeah, that's great. I mean, you don't see, you wouldn't see that very often no. with anybody. No. no, I mean, the handles, as you know, are made to move people. Yes. it's like I can be the bad guy, but you can be the bad guy. So, 
Well, thank you once again. Lots of great detail and a great story about the time Aerosmith earned their wings at uh, Westboro Speedway. Um, it's going to appear um, in Sunday's act um, on August 18th, the very day, 45 years ago, that uh, Aerosmith was in Westboro. So thanks for listening to this week's edition of... Um, Worcester Culture Watch, and as always, the music was composed by DJ Manipulator. Thank you, Richard.